0: prepared. Let us be prepared to have an answer. Let us be prepared to minister to them in their hurts, in their questions, in their needs. Uh, bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to continue to look at some scripture verses that are misinterpreted, misused. And, and each week we've been talking about our call coming from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 which says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. That's our call. Correctly handle the word of truth so that when someone asks a question, when someone doesn't understand something, we're able to give them an answer or lead them to an answer. The verse that we're looking at today isn't actually a verse, but it's part of a verse, and it's found in 1 John chapter 4. So you could look at that. 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 21. But the verse in question, or the verse that we're specifically looking at is, or the statement is, God is love. And we see that and we hear that all the time. Just a blanket, God is love. And I've shared in the past of being up in the New England, specifically Boston area, and seeing churches with banners like this. Go ahead. That say, yeah, it says, love is not something God does, it is, also, it is who God is. Of who he is, God loves you, period. And this, just we were just going to go through them. Love, yes, that was by Christian atheists. Um, love God, love people, period. Love, period. Uh, it's from the Center for Action and Contemplation. God loves you, period. It's a sermon. Love, no strings attached. God loves me, period. God is love, period. God so loved the world, period. And here's a quote from Gracie Allen that says, Never place a period where God has placed a comma. Yes, never place a period where God has placed a comma. And what happens is we meet people that are struggling, that are down and out, that are living in the midst of their sin, and we say, it's okay, God loves you. And immediately they say, they feel, I'm okay then. It's okay. But God didn't say, I love you, period, and then leave the universe. He said, I love you, comma. And we need to know what comes after the comma. Because we can really misrepresent who God is by putting a period there or by what we say after the comma. There's more to the statement that God loves you than just those three words. And as I said in 1 John, where we find this, it's in the middle, it's part of a sentence. It's not a standalone sentence. It's part of a sentence. It's part of the statement. So we're going to look at that today. So we've been learning the tools about how to find out what Scripture is in context. So what's the genre of this? First John? It's a letter. It's an epistle. Who's speaking? John, yes. The Apostle John. Who's John writing to? Nope. I'll save you some time. It doesn't say. It is not addressed to anyone. and so it's it's a general, it's a general letter. And we could take it as a letter written to all churches. and we could receive first John as written to us. And that's unusual within the epistles. So the key word that stands out in this uh, letter, in this passage of scripture is the word love. And in from verses seven to twenty one, The word love is used 27 times. Loved, love, or loves. 27 times. Uh, John's not using any literary devices. He's writing a letter. And um, if you want to take and and see what some other translations read, you look at the Amplified and it expands this. It just expands it immensely. Everything else is kind of uh, similar. Um, this, word, this verse doesn't contain a word that says that we need to go back, but the passage just doesn't stop. John's talking about love, and he just goes on, and he goes on, and he goes on. So we're going to look at that passage, 1 John um, chapter 4, verses 7 to 21, and then we're going to look at it line by line, starting in verse 7. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So as you read that and you hear love, 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 and back and forth, it's it's confusing. There's a lot there. And so we're going to break it down verse by verse. But since love is used 27 times here, that word, we have to know what God's definition of love is. We we can't take and bring our own definition to it. We use love, it's one of the words that we most misuse in our society. Oh, I love those shoes. I love that t-shirt. I love this weather turn on the radio, and there's all kinds of songs about love. And obviously, we don't love a t-shirt in the same way that God loves us. Or I hope not. (laughs) Right? So there are eight Greek words that we translate as love. Eight different words. We translate them as love. Four of those words are in the Bible. Eros, for romantic or passionate or sexual love. Philia, which is affectionate love or friendship. You might see that and think of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. (laughs) Agape, which is a selfless, universal love or storage, which is a familiar love, a parental love. The Greek word that's used here throughout this passage, every time it says love or loved or loves, is agape. It's to welcome, to entertain, to be fond of, to love dearly with affection, goodwill, benevolence, a brotherly love, A selfless love. It's similar to all the others with one big exception. It's love for the sake of the other. It is selfless. It's not to love for what you will receive but for what the other, the one you love, receives. We don't love like that. Right. We... We have an expectation when we love that we will be loved back. We have an expectation that that someone will be grateful when we do something for them. Right? God loves selfishly. And I was thinking of... Selflessly. Selflessly. Thank you. Um, Thinking of of 9-11 and the first responders that in the midst of the towers falling down rushed in. Mm. They didn't think about their family. They didn't think about their health. They didn't think about their life. They only thought about helping, saving people that needed to be saved. I had a friend um, He uh, attended our church in New Jersey for several years, and he was a really special man. And he worked for an insurance company, and he moved to California. On 9-11, he was doing an insurance audit in one of the towers. He flew in for the day. That was his day to be in the tower. And they found his body on a floor above the floor that he was working on so this man his name's Jerry Paskins apparently as people needed help he went up to help people get out rather than getting going down and saving himself that is selfless love. He didn't make a decision at that point to say, hmm, I think I'm going to be selfless today. It was who he was. It was in his character. And in the same way, we see God's character through this, an agape love. We can define it as unconditional love. But the fact that it's unconditional doesn't mean that there isn't a response that comes out of it. We have to respond. When someone loves us with that kind of sacrificial love, there has to be a response that comes out of us. God doesn't do it for what he'll get out of in return. But you can't receive agape love, unconditional love, shrug your shoulders, and not have a response. You either have to reject it or receive it and respond to it. Mm -hmm. But rejecting it is a response. It's a response. You're just choosing not to receive that love and not to interact with the one who loved you in that way. So to say God loves you, period, is, I believe, impossible. And that's what this uh, passage is about. Here's God's love, and here's how that love should affect you, change you, transform you. To receive this love, it requires a response. It can't not can't not. The epistles or the letters, they're typically written to encourage and to correct. Often the correction involves some sort of heresy. A heresy is a a false teaching that was being spread around. And that's the case here. John is writing to the church about Gnosticism. The Gnostics had two teachings and they kind of contradicted each other. Some taught that the material world and self didn't matter. Only the spiritual did. So as long as you took care of your spirit, you could do whatever you wanted in your flesh. That sounds familiar. The other teaching was that by controlling your body, eating right, being disciplined, working out, you could avoid sickness and death. That sounds familiar, too. Gnosticism is alive and well today. It hasn't gone anywhere. Some pour all their efforts into staying physically fit and pursuing health and longevity. And others live what they call spiritual lives while enjoying their flesh as much as possible. Yesterday, we were on Washington Street, and we set pop up up and... Uh, Pastor Susan and Jen and I sat and talked to people that walked along and handed out tracts and prayed with people and we met some interesting characters including a a man who said that he was an atheist but prayed all the time well to who? well to God we haven't thought it out (laughs) obviously he hadn't thought it out He's praying to a god that he doesn't believe exists, and he's trusting that god so that he goes to heaven, a place that he doesn't believe exists, just in case. So, would you say an atheist? That an atheist? And he said he was an atheist. He didn't believe in God. What is that like a religion or something? Well, everything's a any belief is a religion. Well, I know. But right. atheists no, they don't believe in God, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. I worded it. Yeah, no, no, it's good. Uh, an atheist is someone who doesn't believe God exists. Right. So he was praying to God that he don't believe. It. Yeah. He was praying to the God he doesn't believe in. Right. be like, Right. And and as we talked, we just went around in circles until I finally had to say, Well, see ya. Nice talking to you. He, um, his, his hope wasn't to try and find out if God was real, because I asked him that. His hope was that if he was wrong, he had covered his bases. He had a backup plan. Wow. God sees our heart. God sees our heart. His heart's not praying. His, words, his mouth might be speaking something, oh. or his mind might be thinking something. But in his heart, he doesn't believe in God, and there's something there. So communicating to God to say so he just wasting his time right? <laughs> well he was very confused and yeah. right wow. and and that's a good point Jen and and um the you know God says you know belief to believe that God is real well he says the whole creation speaks that he's real but he wants a relationship with us a relationship and this young man did not have a relationship he was just trying to cover all his bases. Can you explain the difference between an atheist and an agnostic? An atheist, the difference between an atheist and an agnostic, and, an atheist, um, I think it's pretty hard to be an atheist. An atheist says God does not exist, which we don't have that ability. What's that? Period. Period, yes, uh, which we would have a hard time being able to defend that. We might choose to believe it or want to believe it, but to know it would we would have to know all things everywhere, and we can't It'd make us a god. Uh, but an agnostic is someone who believes there's a god but chooses not to have a relationship with him or interact with him or worship him. So there's a choice. An agnostic says, "Yeah, it's wor- most of our world. Most of our world would say, oh yeah, I believe there's a god. And then we create him in the way we want him to be, and we choose to worship him in the way we want to worship him. So Gnosticism, this whole idea that the, the physical world doesn't, isn't important as long as I take care of my spirit, well, it's a heresy. It's a heresy. It's a false teaching. And um, John was writing against that and so that applies to us today we live in a society with lots of people who think they're spiritual who will tell you that they pray that they believe in god so that idea that we can worship god on our own terms our own way it's it too is silly we haven't thought it out god is god and he determines the way we do things if we live in a society that has rules and, in a way, procedures to do something. If you want a driver's license, there is a way that you have to go about getting a driver's license. You can't say, hey, I'm doing it my own way. Sure. <laughs> right. But, but when a policeman pulls you over and you Photoshopped your own license. Yeah, but they still did it their own way. They did. And now people... And there's consequences. And so we do the same thing with God and we say, I will worship God my own way, and there are consequences. We can't run the kingdom. We don't get to run the kingdom. While the Gnostic teaching is kind of a little contradictory as to what they teach, uh, the two different tenets of it, um, the point of it is. And we see this in our society today is they only pay as much attention to their spirit as they see fit and in the way that they see fit. So we're surrounded by people who believe that they're doing just enough to be right with God and at the same time passionately pursuing pleasure and their flesh. And John addresses this right at the uh, beginning of this letter. Right at the beginning, he says in uh, chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, he says, If we say we have fellowship with him, God, while we walk in darkness, sin, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, holiness, obedience, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with, with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. You get that? So we deceive ourselves. We say I'm good with God while we're walking in our sin. We're pursuing our sin. Does sin happen? Yes. But sin that's planned out, that's pursued, it's our lifestyle. It shouldn't be our lifestyle. John's addressing people that walk in sin and claim to follow God. But at the same time, he connects it with how we treat one another. They're, they go together. And it's within the context of telling us that we are to love one another that we tell, he tells us that God is love. There's this connection. God is love so the response is that we should love one another. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, we're going to look at that passage verse by verse now. We see, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So since love is from God, it goes to say that those who have been born of God or know God will also love. And while it's hard for us to love unconditionally, we typically don't, when he says that we will love, he's using that same word. So he, I, as I looked this up, I fully expected to see a change in the words for love. But what John's saying is because God loves unconditionally, we also are to love unconditionally. I can honestly say that's not what I wanted to see. <laughs> no, and I grumble about it all right. the time. Right. It's so convicting. Right. Because why? We have an expectation when we love someone. And if God loved like we loved, we would all be in a lot of trouble. He would say, really, Susan, after I did this and this and this for you and that's the way you respond? Really, Larry? Or any of us? Verse 8 says, Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Here it is. Anyone who does not love does not know God. So if we know God, we become like Him. How many times has a little kid you know you want to be just like dad or just like mom and and someone will always say ah oh, look at that you know he's he's doing what dad's doing at the same time and and um, you know we want to be like our dad and and you know in a fallen world that's not always good and sometimes it's good it's just not perfect but we become like we become like him. And we want to be like him. We want to do what mom or dad did or does. And so when God is our dad, as as Chris shared, that love, as we, we interact and we become like him, we love like him. So if you don't love, it's because you don't know God. Ouch. Ouch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ouch. <laughs> yeah, and and the fact that the Corinthians says, like if we're without love Noisy. Yeah, clanging and cymbal or noisy gong. Yes, if we don't have love. Right. So verse 9 says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. To make manifest is to make evident to the eye. So I can see it. God made his love evident. He allowed us to see it by sending Jesus to save it, save us. So that we might live through him. Be like him. Do the things he did. Jesus is our only hope for eternal life. And that comes out of God's love for us. We didn't have to earn it, and we don't have to pay it back because it's unconditional. But it demands a response. Demands a response. We can either receive it and walk in that love or we can turn our backs on it. And sadly, most people turn their backs on it. Verse 10 says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. There's a big word there. John continues talking to us about this that it's not about our loving God it's about his loving us his loving us allows us to love him to propitiate means to appease or to make right okay he's the one that he paid for our sins he was our substitute he substitute himself for Uh, substituted himself for us on the cross. The cross is where we belong. It's where we belong to pay for our sin. And Jesus got on that cross. He had no sin to pay for, but he got on that cross. But I belong there and you belong there. And if someone gives that way and loves that way, that they would die in your place. Well, It demands a response. Verse 11 says Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. And think about it. We've been saved from tens of thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of sins, more than we could count, more than we know. More than we know. And when someone hurts me, I hold their sin against them. And after all I did for you, and you did that for me, and, and yet God forgave us everything. So it speaks of forgiveness. There's a response based on, on God's love for us. We then ought to love one another. So if God's willing or pleased to love us in this way, we must love each other in that same way. Agape love. Love without regard for self, without regard for what you get back. Selfless love. We can't do that in our own strength. We can only do that through the Spirit. Only. Yeah, not in our own strength. Verse 12 says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. We know God not because we've seen him, but because we have received and know his love. Right? Let me say that again. We know God not because we've seen him, but because we have received and know his love. Remember, it was manifested in in us by his spirit through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If we love one another, God abides in us, lives in us. To abide, it's to live in or to dwell in us. And as we love one another, our love is made perfect. Perfect, meaning fulfilled or complete. Our love's complete. It's manifested in us in a way that's perfect or complete. We love others selflessly because he loved us. And his love causes us both to love him and others. Verse 13 says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. So how do we know That his love is in us because his spirit. His spirit brings confirmation. His spirit brings a new purpose. His spirit brings a passion to our new life. We want to be like daddy. Mm -hmm. And we want to tell people about him. My dad's bigger than your dad. (laughs) We want to tell or testify about him. And Jesus and their great 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 love and so to tell people about it we have to demonstrate it as well we can't not love people and talk about the great great love of God verses 14 and 15 say and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So telling others about Jesus, it's an expression of love and a declaration that God loves. By loving others selflessly, we're giving evidence that God abides or dwells in us. It's evidence. Fruit. That we have his nature. That we're like him. We should have some evidence. So our testimonies in worship this morning were the expression of God's love, testifying, releasing fruit, testifying of his goodness toward us. Yes. Our testimonies are, are, yes, they speak of God's fruit. They're evidence. And what we share in the world and how we act in the world. When we stop and care about somebody, and oftentimes, someone will say, oh, wow, you're a really good person. And we go, yes, I am. <laughs> thank you for doing that. You shouldn't have. Thank you for shoveling my walk. Boy, you're a really sweet person. Yes, thank you, I am. Yeah. No. No, you know, I wasn't like that. But God lives in me, and so he causes me to love. And I love because... He loves me. And we often aren't prepared when someone compliments us in that way to be able to say in a good way. What's that? I've heard it. it. does feel good, but you're just, it feels like weird too. When someone says how nice you are, how good you are, yeah. It's such a sweetheart, doesn't it? Yeah. So, well, God. so to be able to say to somebody, you know, this is the work. This is what God did in me. This is a result of God's changing me. It's not me. Verse 16 says, and 17 says, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. God's love, and by the evidence of it in our lives, we have assurance for salvation. Amen. I talked to a couple people yesterday that said, "Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure." And I talked to a gentleman mm, earlier in the week that wasn't sure. Goes to church but wasn't sure of their salvation. And John's saying here that the way we love others gives us some assurance. It's evidence. We each know who we were and how we interacted with people. I love Angie's testimony coming back from... Voice of the um, Prophets and and saying, I would have tased that road rage guy in the past, but now I wanted to go give him a hug. Well, there's evidence. It's like, wow, yeah, don't get Angie mad. But... <laughs> 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 just in case Angie backslides, she has her taser, just in case. But <laughs> give him a hug, and just in case. And that taser's going to be right there. <laughs> But but that brings us right. So Angie looks and says, wow, I could hear the, the wonder in your voice as you testify to that, that wow, all of a sudden I realized I'm changed. There is something different in me. So in that way, we can know that God abides in us because I love like he loves not like I would have previously loved. In verse 18, we read, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. No fear in love. This goes back to the previous statement. We have confidence in our salvation because of his love. We no longer fear God's righteous judgment. And because there's no fear in His perfect love, because of that, we can live in His love. And we see it because it was made manifest or evident to us by God sending Jesus to save us. So. The same direction. Right there's a direction uh, a difference between correction and punishment. Correction or discipline is a drawing near correcting. Punishment is pushing away. So once again John expresses the expected result of this truth. If you belong to God, if he lives in you, then this is what you're going to see. It's the fruit in your life. He tells us that in verse 19 and 20 and 21. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So this passage, it's very clear. God is love is not about our sexual freedom. It's not about romance or marriage or living how we want to or with whomever we want to. In fact, it's quite the opposite. The in- Entire passage is about how we, if we're truly filled by God's selfless love, will let that love flow out of us and selflessly love others. It's sacrificial love. We will act and look just like our father, just like our daddy. People will look at us and say, wow, how do you love like that we all know people that are pretty unlovable and we all know how to pretty much unlove them <laughs> but to sacrificially love we need to ask holy spirit to give us his eyes for that person lord how do you see that person whom I can't love or struggle to love. How do you want me to love them? How do I do it? Because I want to get back at them. They hurt me. I want to hurt them. God said love as I love. Well, unforgiveness is really a lack of gratitude for what God did for us. It's a lack of gratitude. He forgave us all our sin, and we refuse to forgive somebody for their one, or 10, or whatever. And we're imperfect, and the perfect God forgave us. So I have a question about this, because I recently had a um, Sunday Venice have a conversation, and she said, um, like how, she used the word I think she used can't lose your salvation I think that's the term she used when I said eternal salvation so her question was if a guy was a murderer and went to jail and you know paid his price and became saved or whatever and then got out in the community and went back to living like he was living not murdering but just the lifestyle then is he still going to go to heaven? And it just felt like a trap question. So I I asked her, was she she understood to be the truth?" And um, basically, because that particular um, denominational precepts are very much letter to the letter. Right, legalistic. Um, So she was able to give me that answer but what do you say about that in light of this? Well, I guess, you know, in, in case it didn't, wasn't heard online, um, Kristen is asking about someone who murders, goes to jail for murder, gets out, but really hasn't changed his lifestyle, and um, are they saved or not saved? And, and um, I, I guess we take it, we, we look at it from an extreme, but if we take it for something that's more practical, uh, how many of us have lied before we were saved? Right? Yeah. All of us. Okay. How many of us have lied since we've been saved? All of us. Right? <laughs> so it takes it to this other level that we can all relate to. We want to take it out here and make God look bad. And God looks at our heart. And God is going to have a uh, uh, pure grace not a a pure grace, an understanding of our heart, then we can look and see. So I hesitate to give a blanket yes or no there because there's all kinds of things that get involved. But I would say that if we truly belong to God, our life should look differently. It should have change we should produce good fruit, not bad fruit. And there's a lot of scripture that speaks to that. talks about our language, our words. And he says, can uh, fresh water and salt water come out of the same spring? Well, no. So out of our heart, we produce fruit and its evidence. But God understands whether the fruit is good and we can have trouble discerning whether that fruit is truly good good and what direction we're growing in. Well, and it's all equal in the sense that it all separates us from God. It's not all equal in the sense that it doesn't matter whether we lie or we abuse a child, because it does. There is a difference, but it's all equal in the sense that it all makes us a lawbreaker. And we all need the grace of God. We all need his salvation So it's not just the bad guy. And we were talking about that this morning of of the people that look and say, well, I'm a good person. Well, I'm not that good of a person, but I'm better than you. (laughs) And that's my standard. And we won't be judged by somebody else. We're going to be judged by Jesus. And if we're not better than Jesus, well, then we need to rely on his salvation. So did that answer your question? Kind of, good. Also, I feel like I would with the question of, is he pursuing more? Right. Because that's what we're called to do every day. No matter if we've committed murder or, you know, we've never cheated on a spouse or whatever the case may be, whatever the sin may be, we are called to actively pursue him every day. And we know, we learn that we can't pursue God in our flesh at the same time. Yeah. So if he's come out whatever salvation he believes, if he's still pursuing his flesh and he's not pursuing the Lord, then that's where the question comes. Not necessarily for the crime that he committed, but is he now pursuing after his salvation, is he pursuing the Lord? Right. that's the heart condition. That's the heart condition. Mm -hmm. Which way are you running? What are you pursuing? Always Things you could ever do in a sentence, and, you know, besides the wrong. And it's like, how, how, how do you get past that? With you know, with that, you know, right. like it's uh, it's a hard one for us. Right, right. We we rank sin. Yeah. yeah. We yeah. see sin that is um, um, especially wrong. Um, God looks at things, and, and in His Word, He talks about His hatred for gossip yeah. and slander. Bad hey. about people? Yeah, yep, yeah. yeah. and 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 talking bad about people, and and you know what? Gossip is rampant in churches. Yes, rampant. Like it's everywhere. There's a lot of it, <laughs> and and uh, and we justify it because oh. Hey, I just thought you should know about so-and-so so so you could pray for them. That, da 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 And we're just being gossipy. And God said he hates that. Hates it. No, gossip is tearing someone down. Making them look bad. bad. Yeah. No. (laughs) If we have something good to say about someone, we're building them up. Praise God. So John's calling us to a love that's beyond us. It's beyond us. Just in the same way that we have no ability on our own to heal someone, we have no ability on our own to love someone this unconditionally. And, and we pursue, right? We, be, we want that gift of healing. We want a gift of prophecy. But I don't think we often say, I want the gift of love. Love. I want the gift to love people that are unlovable. Huh. Bring them on, Lord. Send them to me. Oh, that's like praying for patience. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah it's like praying yeah. for patience. Oh, yeah. So God calls us to something that we can't do in our own strength. Yes, right? So we need to go to him to be able to do it. Yeah. we not, not loving someone from a distance. Like if, if, like, <laughs> well, okay, so Angie's asking what... What about loving someone from a distance? Well, we don't have to be in there in the the trenches with that person necessarily being hurt by them, but we can be praying for them. We can be praying that God blesses them, that reaches out and gets a hold of them, right? So he's not saying go be abused. He's not saying be in a place that's dangerous for you. You know, when we think about people that are unlovable or that have hurt us, especially people that have hurt us really, really badly. The last thought that you want to have is that that person will go to heaven and spend eternity with you. And that's the God of love, right? So the, the God of our flesh says, we want to see those people hurt like we were hurt. But when God is in us and we have his love and our, that love flows through, then we're praying, Lord, get that person get a hold of them and draw them to yourself. Yeah, that they would then be changed because what better thing could happen in that relationship than they get saved and transformed? But we have to have that mindset and that mindset comes through the Holy Spirit. So John calls us to love for the sake of the other just as God loved us. No longer self-centered, but God-centered. No longer seeking my own gain, but seeking to build the kingdom. No longer self-promoting, but God-promoting. And when we do so, and we're secure in our calling, and our, we are secure. We do so being secure in our calling and our salvation. Not doubting God, but trusting him, because we see his love manifest or made evident in us. And at the end of 1 John, in chapter 5, verse 13, we read this. John says, I write these things in this letter. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to doubt because of the things that are in this letter, of which this passage that we read now, God's love being made manifest through us, because of these things, we can know. And that's why he writes. Here's who God is. Here's our response to who he is. Here's the evidence that flows out of it. Then we know. We know. Wow, you look just like your dad. Wow, there's no doubt. There's no doubt who you belong to. John leaves us with that encouragement. We can know that we have eternal life. We can know that we belong to God. And if you don't have that insurance assurance, if you have any doubts, if you don't see evidence, then talk to myself or talk to Pastor Susan. Learn how to know. How to be like your daddy. It changes everything. Gives us a security as we walk through this life. And it changes our assignment. I'm not here for myself. I'm not protecting myself. I'm not seeking people to follow me but I'm seeking people to come and know my Father God. And too often we seek our own following. We want people running after us. God says no. It's about bringing people to follow the Father. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, we praise you for this time, and we thank you for just to be able to sit informally and and to talk and to share and to listen, uh, Lord, uh, just each other's understanding and input, and uh, Lord, experiences that we've had, the testimonies that have been shared, and Lord, we look forward to a greater, a greater measure of love for others. That when we encounter hurts and hardships, that We would stop and think, what would my father do right now? How would my father love right now? And that we would just ask, Holy Spirit, equip me to do that. Because it's really hard. And that we would surrender Mm -hmm. our rights, our expectations and love and trust that, Father God, Holy Spirit, you will equip us just as you equip Jesus, that you will equip us to love unconditionally. So we thank you, we praise you for all that you do in us, around us, and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.